Open up to 1 John, the fifth chapter. We're going to hear God's word. If there's anything Christians should get excited about, it's not the stimulus check that the government's giving. Now, that's a nice thing to have, I guess, even though it'll cost you a lot in the long run. But that's a different story. And so, um, I just ruined that. But, uh, but genuinely... Uh, genuinely, we should love God's Word. We should get thrilled with God's Word. If you're not thrilled with God and you're not thrilled with Jesus, you're not thrilled with His Word. Once, when there is a part of the Word that makes you thrilled about God. I mean, when you know the Word of God, know it's God's Word, it will thrill you from the inside out. Why? Because you recognize the pure reality of this inspired book. It's different than any book in the world. And you can find absolutes in there that will blow your mind. But if you approach the Bible uh, wrong or not how it is, it won't do you good. As a matter of fact, uh, in the Bible it says... It worked effectively, the truths of the Bible worked effectively in those, not everybody, but in those who believed that the Bible was not just the mere words of men. It says, but as it is in truth, the words of God. You know, if you, I mean, I'm not trying to sound whatever, but when we were little, Arizona doesn't have peel bugs. You know what peel bugs are? Roly-polies. Anybody know what those are? The little things that curl up in a ball? You know, I'm going to finish this story in a second, but if you were offered an aspirin and you uh, took that aspirin and shoved it up your nose, that ain't going to work. Somebody's like, are you serious? No. Just because you have the Bible doesn't mean it's going to work, but if you believe it, it will work. You know, you got you got to get it the right way. If you don't believe it and are just so dependent on the Word, it will not affect you like it should. You know, some things go in your mouth and, other, and like an aspirin doesn't go in your nose. And I was thinking about a roly-poly when I was little. Some kids said, have you ever smelled one of these roly-polies? And I said, no. And they're all, and I'm like, it doesn't smell. And they're all, smell harder. And I went, and they went, whoop. And it went right up in my nose. I remember thinking, this is in the wrong place. It's in the wrong place. <laughs> Walking around trying to get that thing out. Then it opened up and crawled out. No, it didn't happen. I, <laughs> Sorry. But realize this. If you want the word to be potent, you know, hey, isn't weed killer? It can be potent if it's sprayed on something. But in the container by itself, there is no potency. It has to be applied according to the right thing. And the Bible is the same way. If you will open yourself up and humble yourself before what God said in the Word of God, it will become extremely potent to you. But it's already potent. Some people just don't know how potent the Word of God is until they get to the other side of life. And when all of a sudden people die, all of a sudden they'll recognize, oh, there is a hell. There is a heaven. And the only way I could get to one or, you know, and avoid the other 
was by trusting the Word. The Word is so potent, it can keep people from there. But you know, some people can read the Word of God, not esteem the Word of God, act like it's that book. And when they act like it's that book, then the potency is not applied to their life, but it doesn't do away with the potency of the Word of God. Amen? Right? Didn't the children of Israel, it said God had spoken to them, said you can do this. But they said, uh, but God said about them, they didn't mix faith with it, so it didn't work for them. Didn't work. It didn't mean it won't work, it just mean it didn't work. So the Word of God is super potent in itself, but do you trust it beyond what you feel? Do you trust it beyond your own opinions? beyond your own ideas. And when we do, man, the potency of the Word of God becomes wow in a person's life. And do you know that it can be different for anybody in this room or anybody in the world how potent the Word of God is? Jesus said it like this. The way you measure out to the Word is the way it becomes effective back to you. What do you mean? Just how open you are and receptive you are and respectful you are and how you esteem it above how you feel and what's going on in life and what's happening and what everybody else thinks about it. It doesn't matter who thinks what. You just lift the Word of God up and you go, that's God's Word. I have to, I have to act on that. I don't care. And when you do that, the Word of God will become potent to you. It's already potent, but it just causes something to happen. But if we lightly esteem the Word of God, that's why I said the Word of God should thrill us beyond anything in the world. You can't even know God. You can get confused about God if you don't esteem the Word of God right. You can think, he's ticked off at me. He'll never forgive me. He'll never do this now that this has happened. And those things are because really lies are coming or we have a feeling about something and we haven't exalted the word. When you exalt the word, you can have joy and peace and fulfillment and walk in things when it doesn't even look right and when nobody else is and when the world is in chaos. I mean, you can make the word of God potent for you or effective in you just by highly, highly regarding it. Amen? A lot of us believe in Amazon. We preach Amazon. They're always on time. Well, sometimes they're late. And we'll call people online, you know, that are online or send them, why, why isn't it here? And we'll get, like, upset because we believe that they, when they said it was going to be there, it'll be there. Right? We believe it's going to materialize. Well, we should believe God's Word above all that. Amen? So if you will, 1 John, the 5th chapter, we're talking about the glorious church. These things will work immensely in our lives when we uh, exalt the Word of God, when we esteem the Word of God. Are you with me? You can have this stuff in you as a person who is saved, but it not be as effective as it should be. And I don't know about you, but if you got a flashlight and it's dark, it'd be good to use it. You with me? If you have headlights on your car and you're driving a mountain road and it's dark, 
you know, it might be a thrill for a few minutes to drive with your lights off, but eventually, you want, if you really want to progress, turn the lights on. If you've got the goods, and if you're saved, you do, then let's get them in action. Amen? They be benefit and bless you abundantly, but then they'll bless the world too. And our world is groping in the darkness. 1 John 5, verse 11 and 12, we're talking about the glorious church and this aspect of the glorious church, and we talked about it a little bit last time, but I'm going to read uh, verse 11 and uh, verse 12. And it says, And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. This is the testimony. This is what God has to say. God has given eternal life. God has given eternal life. And this life is in His Son, or only in His Son. He who has the Son has life. But he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. You could say it like this. People who have the Lord Jesus as their Lord get and have eternal life. And those who do not have Him or have not received Him, it says, do not have this life or therein spiritual death. That is a huge statement. You know, when we're talking about the glorious church, that is a profound statement. That means there could be lots of churches or lots of religions in the world, but in Jesus, there is only, only divine life, only eternal life in Him. So that right there is something that is unique to our church here, but any church that uh, teaches about being born again and receiving Jesus, not just good works, that is a profound difference. We should never forget that we do have something nobody else does. Now when I say nobody, I mean nobody in the world. There are other churches where there are people who have eternal life too. Notice this verse in 1 Corinthians 15.20 talking about the glorious church. Or 1 Corinthians 15.22. We need to not forget this. You know, I think sometimes people have been in the, in the kingdom of God for a long time and sometimes some people may forget or take for granted what we come to every week and experience here or experience in our own life that we walk in, the difference we had from when we didn't know the Lord till now. Are you with me? And there are some reasons why even some people go back to things that they were disgusted with before they even were saved. And it has to do a lot with these things that we're going to talk about today. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says this, For as in Adam, the original parents on the earth of creation, of humans, all die. Because Adam sinned, 
this spread to all humanity. It doesn't mean all die physically. That does happen. But all have spiritual death in them. They're absent of God's divine life. Notice what it says after. Even so, in Christ shall all be made alive. All shall be made alive. In Adam, all die. So we know what the world is experiencing. I went into a bar the other day, and grill, I added that, and grill, and grill, bar and grill, and it was probably more bar than grill, but they sell great buffalo wings. So I went in and I was standing there uh, waiting and it wasn't ready. And it was so wild that, you know, just I hadn't been in a place like that, like this. And so this one guy came up to me and was, hey, man, how's it going? You know, and he, I'm thinking, you've already been drinking. You know, and then he walked away and a lady came up to me and like, hey, and I thought, you've been where he's been. And what's so wild is uh, she walked away. That's not the wild part. But I believe God did this, and he's done it a few times lately. I don't remember this. I remember the sensation like it was right then of being lost. And I remember what it was like to drink and to get drunk. And I remember the oppression that was there, even though there was a sense of something else going on. I, I forgot that darkness that was involved in that. And I remember thinking, there isn't satisfaction in that life, and these people are spiritually dead, I believe most of them, unless they're just not walking with God or carnal. And um, I thought, man, this is exactly what they're experiencing and this is their church for getting full, and they don't realize that they're living without. And I thought, I remember when I was destitute, and I remember when I received eternal life, and that left. And so make no mistake about this, the world does not possess this eternal life that is not just something when you go to heaven. That's the mistake we've made in the church world, as we said, receive Jesus and you'll receive eternal life and you'll go live with Him forever. That's not a mistake that we'll live with Him forever. But I think some people think, well, when we die, we'll go there and that is eternal life. No. When you get saved, you get eternal life. Or you could say it like this, the very life and nature of God infused into you. You get changed from the inside. It does something to you. It frees you to walk in this life. There's freedom in this eternal life. So don't think the world has this and realize this. You don't get it as a Christian because you signed up and someday when you die, you get your retirement plan. As you get to go to heaven, you have eternal life. No. Yes and no. Because you say no and then people are like, uh-oh, no, meaning no, you get eternal life now. It is something real. 
It is something that is not just experienced after you die. It is something you possess when you receive Jesus. We need to remember that. We need to realize that. You know, we don't get it. We don't get eternal life when we get to heaven. We go to heaven because we have eternal life. Realize this. Hell is for people who are spiritually dead. Heaven is for people who have received eternal life. That's important because people say, well, why hell? Well, hell is like eternal prison. We put people in prison today who are uh, out of control. There is a spiritual prison. You with me? Hell is a picture of prison here. But there are no great escapes. There's no movies of anybody will ever get out for eternity. And you think about it, the spiritual beings that are left to roam the earth right now who have spiritual death, who vacated heaven, one-third of the angels, they fight against the good angels that have God's uh, glory on them and power. And those angels always prevail, but there's real battles. You can read about them in the Bible. Could you imagine people with spiritual death left to roam for eternity and we are one step below God? We're created in His image and in His likeness. We're created above angels. Think of the problems they produce from the unseen into this realm. Think of the trouble. You know, there's a scripture how uh, Satan himself weakens the nations. All the problems of destruction in the nations come from unseen forces, not God. You with me? And so we need to realize that there will be more people who will go to hell than heaven because Jesus said, broad is the path that leads to a destruction and narrow is the path that leads to eternal life. And many go there, you know, down the broad path instead of the narrow path. We need to realize that if you had more lost people roaming around for eternity without divine life, without their body, what havoc they would wreak, reap or wreak in the unseen realm where we would live forever. Eternity would not be peace and joy, you know, without trouble. Therefore, there is an eternal prison called hell that God wants nobody to go there. So he made a way so nobody has to go. And he made it so people just received the free gift of Jesus. They would get eternal life. And so the side to that is being a real hell and a real heaven, then in all reality, the best or the only hell we'll ever know is here on earth. And the only heaven lost people will know is here on earth. In other words, it's as good as it gets for them here, and it's as bad as it gets for people who are saved here. Could you imagine if this is as good as it gets? That's what the world who doesn't know Jesus has. This is as good as it gets. 
And I mean, are there good things? Yeah, but there's a lot of bad too. But for us, this is as bad as it gets. And so we need to realize this. Eternal life is huge, and it's not just a ticket to heaven. It is what you possess when you receive Jesus. And it is something, if you would learn, you could make that eternal life influence you in greater ways, even though it is having an effect on you, whether you know it or not. 1 John, the third chapter. Everybody alive and well? If we have eternal life, we're alive. And one thing that would be good is we should testify. Even like when I say, hey, do you have life? Are you alive? Everybody in the world? We should say yes. Why? Because words release that eternal life to go into action. 1 John 3.14, and we'll just look at this real quick. And I just want to take one part out of this verse. It says this, 1 John 3.14. It says, and we know, we know. You ever met a know-it-all? This didn't say we know everything, but we do know this. Saved people know this. We know we have passed from death, spiritual death, to life or spiritual life. And the sign of it is because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in spiritual death. You know, when I got saved and gave my life to the Lord, one of the first things I noticed and craved besides the Word of God was I noticed I loved people I didn't love before, and I wanted to be more kind and forgiving, even though I struggled with it. I wanted to grow in love. Now, obviously, somebody could say, but I hate somebody, and I know I'm saved. Yeah, what, what happens is, is people start... Uh, living by their unrenewed mind or thoughts that come to them, and it starts shutting off the life of God. Doesn't mean you don't have the life of God. Doesn't mean you have eternal life, but it can hinder you from benefiting from it. But we should know that we have eternal life, and one way to release it is through walking in love. Amen? Let's look at a couple of things here. Because we need to know this, if we have eternal life, and we know it, and it's something that every Christian has, then when we approach this life, and when we approach people in this life, especially people who are not saved, we don't approach them empty-handed. We don't approach them not having something. We approach them with something, and you've got it now. And remember, I said this when we started, it becomes effective by you believing His Word. It didn't say just that you get it, it becomes effective. You know, I don't know about you, this used to happen years ago. You know, I feel like when, a, you know, when I was younger, you always heard kids walking to school, and I walked to school in the snow, 10 miles, you know. We, we rode on a horse or whatever, you know. You hear stuff like that. Now today it's like, remember back when you had cars that weren't perfect? 
you know, and uh, you don't hear this much, or at least I don't anymore, but, you know, when a car didn't start, the first thing you'd ask is say, are your battery posts on, you know, your uh, cables connected correctly? Is there a bunch of corrosion? You don't even think, I don't think people even think like that anymore. In other words, you have a bad connection, that's the first thing you need to check. Today, you, ne you don't necessarily do that. But back then, it was totally common. And I remember I had an old Camaro, and I remember if my car didn't start well, I'd just go open up the hood and just take that and twist it, you know, the, the cable, and it would clean it up a little bit, go, turn, boom, hey, there it is, all right. I had the power in the battery, I just had a bad connection. And so when we approach the world... It's not that we don't have something. We have something they don't have. But sometimes we just need to make connection. And the way we make connection is believing. And believing means you trust something before you see it. And when you do that, it will be evident. And I will say this. It's probably more evident than you realize in you. Let's turn to Luke, the 15th chapter. And we're going to read a number of verses right here. But talk about walking in eternal life and sharing eternal life. And, and uh, this is a story Jesus told. And it was uh, a story to convey how God is toward people and how people uh, should be concerning the things of God. And there's a lot of stuff in here. And you're going to notice this, we call it, or most people call it, the story of the prodigal or lost son. But it's not just a story about the lost son, it's actually the story about the father, about two sons. So let's begin reading in verse 11. It says, Then he said, Jesus said this, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them... And let me make this statement. Um, this was a true story because he said a certain man. So he used a natural illustration for a spiritual truth to point out how God is and how people are. And so he said, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. In other words, I've got an inheritance. I've got stuff that belongs to me. So he divided to them his livelihood or their inheritance. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and then he journeyed to a far country. He journeyed far away from the father and far away from the place where he had received Wonderful things. He didn't, he didn't say he didn't have something good when he was there. It just said he traveled far away from it and took everything that he got there and, and he left. And then it says, and he wasted his possessions. He wasted with prodigal living or literally wasteful living. Well, he just wasted everything because tomorrow will be fine but you know what one thing we've learned about this pandemic and these riots 
and all the other stuff going on. You know, you used to be able to say, oh, you know, the earthquake. We've had all kinds of stuff going on. I mean, one thing we should learn is, is tomorrow may not always look like today. And uh, we should be careful about not being wasteful today, especially as God deals with people about any area of life. And he left and went far away from his father, where he had received such tremendous blessings. And then he, just as he went away, the source was not there, and he just started diminishing by living prodigal living, and it'll tell you what he did. But when he had spent all, in other words, he wasted everything. And we'll read later on that he went out and started partying. You know what's wild? There's a party in the world, and there's a party in the church. The party in the world is waste, and it will make you want. And it's so wild to look because the world is out there partying like never before. It's amazing to go into malls now or shopping centers and see stores that are as big as like a clothing store just for alcohol. Somebody said, well, what's different about that? 30 years ago, you wouldn't have seen that. Somebody said 30 years ago I wasn't alive. I was. You got a problem with that? No. Anyway. But we didn't see that. Now you see them all over the place. It's amazing if you just paid attention to Costco, one of their biggest sections now, and it has grown over the years, is alcohol. Now what am I saying? Used to be if people got drunk, they knew it was sin. Now the world lives to party. All I'm saying is, when I used to party, it left me empty. I didn't know. I was told. I didn't realize there should be a different kind of party or celebration that every believer should be partaking of and knowing about and walking in and being satisfied. The world does that stuff. They're not satisfied. But we'll press on. He wasted it in prodigal living. He was sleeping with prostitutes and everything. Think about it. This is a picture of one of God's kids. Picking up hookers. You allowed to say that? Hose, whatever, you know. I meant to say pantyhose, wearing pantyhose. No. Just wasting money. Well, praise the Lord, we can always clip that out. Not on the live broadcast, though. You got to hear it first. No. But drugs, anything else. But when he had spent all, one thing I found about living that kind of life, a lot of people lose their purpose and drive to get ahead. And he spent, and, and then, and this is kind of like our day and age, then there arose a severe famine. Once he became empty, a huge hard time hit. Here it was a, a, a severe famine in the land, and he began to want. But he was already wanting this just, think about it, he was already wanting, this kind of just showed up the want. 
You know, we're living in a world that bad stuff's happening. And you know what's happening? And people don't always realize it, but it's out there. It's starting to show up wants that were already in people. Problems that were already there. Spiritual death. Hopelessness. And it says, and he began to want. Then he went and joined himself. He started to want, so he joined himself to a citizen of the country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. So he got a job that was not a good job. He just needed something. So he was begging, and this guy said, well, you could do a little bit of work for me. I don't want to feed the swine. Why? What do you feed swine? Old junk food? You just saved all the junk and leftovers? Back then, you weren't feeding them steak and fresh vegetables. Not back then, anyway, because some people have argued with me about this. You know, well, when I had a pig. Uh, no, notice it says a swine. <laughs> anyway, isn't it interesting uh, even when we name the flu, we call it the swine flu, not the heavenly flu, uh, because it's a picture. Thank you. Send him into the field to feed the swine. So he, he had slot buckets. I know a minister who started out, Lester Summerall. He said when he first started the ministry, some people said, well, if you want something to eat and you're going to have to go work, you got to go feed the swine and he said he carried old slop buckets that stunk and he'd dump it and those pigs would just eat it and it says and he verse 16 and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods you know the corn husk the just the junk that the swine ate and no one gave him anything isn't it wild in the good days, all these people that lived off his money, he thought were his friends. Don't be mistaken. The world can be full of selfish people who want. People who are our friends are not the ones who just come for what we can give and tell what we give we don't have. There are good people in the kingdom of God who will give when you have or don't have. They're good people, and we need to recognize that. But in the world, nobody was with him that he had spent. None of those prostitutes came and said, you know, you helped me out making so much money. Here's a sandwich. I remember he used to buy me drinks at the bar. Here, here's a sandwich. Nah, no one gave him anything. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he realized this is horrible. How many of, and he came to himself and he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to, to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make, uh, so in other words, he wouldn't come to God or his father based on his own merit, like I'm good enough for this. 
He said, make me one of your hired servants. And he arose. This is what he's thinking. This is how I'm going to go approach him. And this is a picture of God. I'm going to go there and I don't care how good it is. I don't care if it's bad. I know bad with God is better than anything you're going to find in the world. And I'm going back. And so he went back. And he had it all planned. That Yeah, I've jacked my life up so bad. But, but even the low servants there get way more than I'm getting. And so he arose with this thought in mind in verse 20. And he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. You know, one thing is when people run astray, they don't need to come with conditions before God. They need to come honest. Flat out. And he just laid it out there. And he said, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now verse 22. But the father said to his servants. Notice he didn't even answer. He just ignored him. You ever had somebody ignore you? I'm having that happen right now. Um, let me try this again. Have you ever had anybody ignore you? You guys are great because you help with like sermon illustrations. You know, like you, I asked, anybody ever been ignored? And then you all ignored me, which is perfect. He ignored. You guys probably read that and went, okay, we're going to be ignoring him right here. No, but he just flat ignored him. And I know exactly how he felt. But the father said to his servants, not to his son, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring out the fatted calf to hear and kill it and let us eat. And be merry. He basically said, let's have a party. Verse 24, for this my son was dead. We're talking about people who are spiritually dead and people who get spiritual life. And he said, but he is alive again. He's got life. And he was lost. And he's found. And they began to be depressed. No, some of you aren't reading. And he began to be merry. They began to celebrate this kid's salvation. The father did. The father promoted it. And the kid also got involved in celebrating his salvation. And one thing we'll look at is that it wasn't just the two of them there celebrating. There was a bunch of people there celebrating. In other words, This salvation is worthy to be celebrated by yourself when you have it, but then it's worthy to celebrate it and share it with other people. I don't know about you, but this is the best thing I've ever had in my life. We need to not forget that and think, oh yeah, this is just, no, it's real, and it's something to be celebrated, and it's something to be shared, and it's not like, Hey, come and let's all be depressed together. No, they were having a party about salvation. 
He was dead. He's alive. He, I mean, you ever had something tragic that turned into good? And you said, wow, how good is that? That's what happened here. But the biggest thing, he said he was dead. He's got life. He was lost. And he's found. Now, verse 25, we're going to read on. And it says, now, so there, there's this big party going on. Verse 25, now his older son, because remember the story goes, he had two sons. Now the older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. See, now you're getting a bigger picture of this making merry. Now it wasn't just the father and the son dancing. There's a party going on. And he's coming up, and he's hearing this party, or this celebration for life. For no longer being spiritually dead, lost, but found. And so, as he's approaching, verse 26, So he called one of the servants, this son didn't ask uh, what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come home. He's come back. And because... He has received him, and the father safe and sound. Your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry. He didn't celebrate life. He didn't celebrate this, this change. He was angry and would not go in. He wouldn't go into the party and celebrate. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. Think about it. The father met the one son, and now the father's meeting with the other son. You know, God will meet with all of us and deal with all of us wherever we're at. And here this guy is frustrated with another brother or another sister. And I ain't going. I ain't going in there. I ain't going to church. Not with them there. You're going to miss out on the celebration. You're going to miss out on eternal life. You're going to miss out on what's going on. And then God will plead with you and deal with you. Be there. The father went out and pled with her or him. And notice this. So he answered and he pleaded with him, verse 29. So he, he answered and he said to his father, Lo, not yo. Maybe today we'd say yo. These many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed. In other words, I'm not the guilty party in this. They are. What's the problem here? I never transgressed your commandments at any time. And yet you, yet you, notice this, yet you, notice this, this guy has the audacity to talk to his father who is a picture of God like this. Yet you, Listen here, God. Yet you never gave me a young goat. Not even a fatty cap, not even a little thing. That I might make merry with my friends. So the implication is, he's got his old friends back. And they're having a party. He's sharing the restoration to good standing with other people that he knew. Verse 30 says, But as soon as this your son, not my brother. We should be careful how we treat other Christians. Notice this. 
This your son. Now I'm your son, but this your son. Not your others, this your son. The son of yours. We know this saying. You know, husband and wife. Your son. Your daughter. Because we've either been on the receiving end of that, or we've heard it somewhere. Your son did this. Oh, I thought we both had him. Your son. But as soon as this your son. See, some people are more biblical than they know. And it ain't the good biblical. But as soon as this your son came. Or son of yours came. Who has devoured your livelihood with harlots. Isn't it interesting he knew what his brother was doing when he was far off? With harlots or prostitutes. You killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to this son, which he ignored again, he ignored the other one about his past. And you know what's interesting? He ignored his son's past with this other guy too. With the other son. Notice he didn't give up, bring up his past to the first son. I did this, this, and this. He said, let's have a party. This one, he gives the same answer. You should have a party. Notice, and he said to him, son, you're always with me. And the son said that. I've been with you and never done you wrong. And all that I have is yours. Notice this. It was right that we, we, we should, we should make Mary. But he wasn't making Mary for the other. He wouldn't come in and celebrate. He said it's right that we should make Mary. We should celebrate his life from the dead. We should celebrate what eternal life is. Or life. We should have been merry and we should have been glad. Isn't it interesting? He didn't say you should have. And even the father was, was one of the ones who was celebrating with them. For your brother was dead. And he's alive again. And he was lost and he was found. Notice the very end though. In these verses through 29, he said, all I have is yours. And at any time, you could have killed and had a party with your friends. But what's interesting is, he left it up to him to do it on his own. Both people were supposed to celebrate on their own. Now, God initiated, or the Father initiated, but what's interesting to both, he said, you never killed one for me and for my friends that we might have a party. And he said, well, all that I have was yours. You could have done it. It was in your hands to do it. One thing we do need to realize is this. Every person who's received Jesus has eternal life whether we have exalted it and celebrated it, 
And the interesting thing is, is God wants us to share that eternal life with other people. He does. We have something that the world does not have. We don't come empty-handed trying to give them something. There's an interesting verse uh, in Acts, the uh, second chapter, the first time that the church ever, you know, after Jesus died and rose again, preached the first message to a world that didn't have eternal life and they had received eternal life. And so this is the first time preaching to the lost world after the church came into existence. And it's interesting how they approached the world. Verse 40, And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. In other words, you need salvation. You need to come out of this perverse, twisted world Receive eternal life. Be saved. But he makes two statements that I think are important to us and to any Christian anywhere in the world. It said, with many other words, many words, many words, he testified and exhorted. What does it mean to testify? It's like a legal term. You know, it means to confirm something that you see or you know yourself, right? When, when you go to court, they don't ask you what you think. Well, nowadays maybe they do. But it used to be when somebody was testifying, they testified under penalty of perjury. You could go to jail if you give a false testimony. You, you, you can get in huge trouble. So the, a testimony has to be truthful. And it's about what you know and what you have experienced. You with me? So he preached the gospel, but he also testified. You know, we who have eternal life have something to testify about or confirm. You need to give your life to Jesus. You need to know Him. You should come. Here's my testimony. You'll sense God. You should give your life to Jesus. Here's my testimony. I did it, and my life changed from the inside out. What I was looking for, I didn't find in anything else. See, I got something if those people come to me at that bar and grill. When I'm getting something to go, I have something. I can... Share the truth and testify. See, one thing about a testimony, if it's a fact, it doesn't matter if anybody said, you're a liar. You know, you ever watch those good movies? Liar. You're in the court. And you're like, no, that's what I saw. And they'll cross-examine you. But if you saw it or you experienced it, it is your testimony. Period. It's my testimony. It's a fact. That's like a lot of the stuff right now, you know, like sworn affidavits are people who are swearing to a testimony of something they experienced or they saw, and under perjury of penalty, if it's a federal, it's a federal crime, you go for that, 
You go every day and serve every day if you are lying. And this is the high court of heaven that we are testifying for. And we ain't lying. Yeah, I have this eternal life. My life changed. And so what did he do? And he gave scripture and stuff, but he testified and he exhorted with many words. What does it mean to exhort? So he confirmed what he was saying. Hey, I received Jesus. My life has changed. I know where you can go to learn about him too. But then it says he exhorted. So you could say it like this today. He confirmed by what he had experienced and what he knew personally. And he exhorted or literally means he encouraged encouraged a course of action. He encouraged or urged them. Not only did he say this is true and what we're experiencing and what I've experienced and all believers have is called eternal life and I know it myself, but he urged these people and he encouraged them. Come, serve him, know him for yourself. Or, you know, whatever, we can encourage people. You know, some people need encouragement. And some people think that means, you're okay. You're okay. And that's not the encouragement he was talking about. He was encouraging them to, to give their life to the Lord. Or in our case, we can encourage them to come to church to then know Him and give their life to Jesus. Isn't it interesting? This great preacher used these simple tools of personal testimony and urging or uh, encouraging, and literally exhort means to strongly encourage. Hey, you should come. No, you should come. And notice it said with many words, so that he, he was, come on, hey. You know, it's so wild, I looked up the word, and I felt everybody would be blessed with this. The word exhort means to strongly encourage or urge someone to do something. And you know, in the definition, I know some of you are going to love this, it says, come on, you guys, exhorted Linda. That's, that was the definition. That was the example they gave. I thought, okay, there it is. It must be the truth then. Here's the thing, and we're going to close. No wonder we're called a glorious church. Because the true church, those who are made up of born-again believers, have eternal life. And that's what's spread around and experienced where we gather, or where we're gathering, or when it's at home. That's the power of the Spirit. We have that when we go. Bringing people to church, or sharing one's faith, may be their only taste of heaven they ever get here on the earth. Could literally be their only taste of heaven they get, or of eternal life they get, or, or to sample it, is through me testifying, or us testifying, or sharing with them. Could be the only sample they ever get. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You may be the only Jesus the world ever sees or the people around you ever see. So you might be the only taste they get 
or the only Jesus they get to experience or know about will be through one of us. And what's cool is, is we know, I mean, I'm not trying to say we should ever feel something or whatever, but there's no doubt when we're praising God at different times, we've all been there where we're like, wow, I sense God when we were singing that song. Anybody else notice that? There's a presence there that's not anywhere else. It surely isn't in that bar unless I brought it or another believer brought it. And, and so we have that, and, and we have something that's different. We're acquainted with him. So we, we have a testimony. We may not sense God every time, or maybe we do, you know, or you sense it during preaching or whatever. You're like, wow, I notice when I leave, there's something. It's, it's not earthly. It's not smell. It's not taste. It's not physical put my hand on it, but it's something. We have something to testify about that the world desperately needs. 